Pictures presents the story of an unlikely hero who rescues a fair princess. Wake up! What? From a nasty villain. You're a monster! With the help of his trusty companion. How about him? <laughs> One name spells action. Come on! One name spells adventure. There's an arrow in your butt! Excitement. And that name is Shrek. Shrek? You're expecting Prince Charming. Don't look down. Shrek! I'm looking down! Shrek. Wow. Let's do that again. No! No! Hi everyone, welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Nick Rorkraut. And I'm Sophia Simonello. And welcome back. We're here for season two. We are both so excited to talk to you about Shrek today. And it's a weird feeling being back, but I'm very excited. Yeah, we definitely, I think, had a nice break coming off of our very long Oscar season, but I'm excited to talk about one of my favorite movies today from childhood and one that I, despite how good it is, always forget that it got a lot of awards attention. I'm happy to be back with my weekly chats with you about movies. And (laughs) I'm assuming most of you listening have seen Shrek. It came out in 2001 and was the first winner of the Academy's Best Animated Feature category. And I didn't realize that it took that long, actually, for that category to be established. I think when I think of that category, I still include some Disney classics. And to think that it is only really 20 years old as a category is pretty cool. And I think that this being the inaugural winner of the category is a great choice. This movie's incredibly inventive and I think laid out an interesting path for how the category would maybe choose winners in the future and would take shape in what they would recognize. It's definitely a refreshing winner, seeing how this category has progressed and the winners Mm -hmm. we've had since. We'll get into all of those, and we're going to do a little mini game about the Pixar hold over the category. So Shrek is about a... (laughs) The IMDb description is a little rough here. Okay. (laughs) We read them because we always do, but I know based on our polls that we've done on social media... Everyone has seen this movie, so you can laugh along as we read this description. (laughs) So a mean lord exiles fairy tale creatures to the swamp of a grumpy ogre who must go on a quest and rescue a princess for the lord in order to get his land back. Shrek is directed by Andrew Adamson and Vicki Jensen. It stars Mike Myers, Eddie Murphy, Cameron Diaz, and John Lithgow. And it's based on the book by William Stieg. 
One of the most fascinating facts about Shrek, I think, is that it premiered at the Cannes Film Festival and competed for the Palme d'Or. And it was the first animated film to do so since Peter Pan in 1953. Like, imagine going to Cannes and your schedule for the day is seeing the premiere of Moulin Rouge, Mulholland Drive, The Piano Teacher, The Man Who Wasn't There, and Shrek. (laughs) (laughs) It would be kind of a nice break seeing Mulholland Drive and then, and I love David Lynch, but seeing that and then just going into Shrek, it would be a nice cool down. It would, but I feel like you'd still be in that like acid trip mindset of like, what is happening? (laughs) (laughs) We're joking about all this, but I love Shrek. This is Mm -hmm. incredible. I think it was so original. Through its theatrical run, it grossed $487 million on a $60 million budget. So it did very well at the box office Mm -hmm. and I think is still beloved by many audiences. Definitely. And I remember, too, when it came out, Shrek was the movie. Like, it was what people were talking about. Do you remember the first time you saw it? Did you see it in a theater? I did. So I remember this actually very vividly. My whole family went to go see it. I would have just been eight years old. And I loved it. I thought it was... Just such a funny animated film. I do remember thinking that the animation looked really weird to me. Like growing up on those Disney classics, Mm -hmm. the DreamWorks CG style was definitely something that was really different to me at the time. But I remember just loving the characters, Donkey in particular. I loved him and Eddie Murphy's performance as Donkey and that character is still, I think one of the best parts of the movie for me watching it today. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised that my parents didn't hide the VHS tape from us because it was one of the ones that was always on. What do you think makes Shrek different than maybe the other animated films that you grew up with or as you rewatched it to prepare for this episode, what stood out to you as being different from the other animated films that we've watched? I think why I like Shrek so much is that all of its components are either done really well or just come together so fluidly. And the first one off the bat to me is the soundtrack, which reading into trivia and history on it, it seems like it happened more unintentionally off the bat. I think starting the movie off with All Star is incredible. (laughs) You just have so many good songs throughout. Hallelujah is one of my all-time favorites too. And ending with I'm a Believer, it's Mm -hmm. just like so many good references along the way. And I think it's a bit nostalgic for us too, you know, thinking back to growing up and listening and having the Smash Mouth CD and, you know. (laughs) You had the Smash Mouth CD? (laughs) I probably did. (laughs) Wait, I think I have the Shrek CD or I had it downloaded. (laughs) That makes sense. I like yeah. can't actually see the CD like in my mind. I wonder if we had it too. I realized when I was rewatching it because Hallelujah, the song has been used in so many movies and episodes of TV shows and sung by contestants on American Idol and The Voice mm-hmm. and shows like that over the years. But I realized I think this was the first time I'd ever heard the song was watching Shrek. Like that was yeah. my introduction to it. I also Smash Mouth really was the kind of grating, at least to me, band of the moment, <laughs> the early aughts. And 
I loved learning that like All Star wasn't even supposed to be the opening song in the movie. It was mm-hmm. supposed to be I'm a Believer, but the test audiences really liked it, so they kept it in. I think it's the perfect credit sequence song. Yeah. What else stood out to you in Shrek versus other animated films that you had seen growing up? So this was also something when we asked on Instagram, like, why do you love Shrek to our listeners? So many people said this, that the adult humor in a kid's movie was something that really stood out to them and was something they really liked. And I'm the same way. I love how crude the humor is. I think it's hilarious. And I actually remember growing up, there were certain things that I definitely didn't get, but that my parents would laugh at. And I didn't really understand at the time, but was still Mm -hmm. able to enjoy it. And I think that any type of kids movie or animated film that has humor that works for kids and works for adults and both audiences can get something out of it. I think that that's a testament to how creative the film is and how well-written the script is too. And obviously the actors did improvise a lot of the humor, which is really fun. I just love it. There are so many great examples. And I think playing off of the adult humor The fact that it's a play on a classic fairy tale Mm -hmm. and it's turned on its head is just like another way this film keeps things original. It's funny watching it back now because I know I didn't get some of the references when I was Mm -hmm. younger, like in the the Duloc information booth scene. (laughs) I think I can remember like trying to think of what the word would be that they Mm -hmm. like pause at and I don't think I could. And now it's like obviously. But there are also lines that really just don't make sense, but are funny when you're a kid. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that is like Eddie Murphy's humor and the script. So it's really for anybody. Yeah. So another thing that I really loved watching Shrek now and how you can tell that this movie was made by film lovers is that there are a ton of references to classic and popular films. For example, we have Babe Shrek at one point says, that'll do donkey, that'll do, which is a reference to that'll do pig, that'll do. We have Jurassic Park. The reference there is when at the end, the dragon eats Lord Farquaad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we have the Matrix where Princess Fiona is fighting against Robin Hood, who is voiced by Vincent Cassell from Black Swan. (laughs) We also have Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. So when they're crossing the bridge to get back after they've rescued Fiona and the bridge falls up against the cliff. That's from that. Another one's we have Taxi Driver that I caught this time, which is also referenced in Iconic Parent Trap. But we have Shrek turn around a donkey and say, you talking to me? Exactly like Robert De Niro. (laughs) Then we also have The Godfather. And this was something that I learned from trivia After Shrek and Donkey, like, defeat all the knights in the tournament, Shrek turns to the crowd and says, try the veal, which is a line from The Godfather that Solazzo says to McCluskey (laughs) when they meet Mm. Michael Corleone. Interesting. Yeah. I have a few, but they're from Shrek 2, so I can save those for later. Okay. We do love Shrek 2, so we will get there. (laughs) So getting into the Oscar component to Shrek, we mentioned that it won before in the first Best Animated Feature category in 2001. So the other nominees that year were Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius, and Monsters, Inc., which I'm kind of surprised that Monsters, Inc. didn't win. 
Yeah, I think when we think about the category now, we say, you know, don't bet against Pixar. But I think maybe because it really was the beginning of Pixar and the beginning of DreamWorks, really, with Shrek, that Mm -hmm. we didn't have that precedent there either of it being this longstanding thing that happened. So it was easier for something else to win. And noticing that there are only three nominees and sometimes now we have five like this past year how that works if there are 16 or more films submitted to this category the winners chosen out of five nominees otherwise they'll only have three nominees in the category and thinking back to our contender series we talked a lot about the precursors and I think why Shrek did so well at the Oscars is that it did really well at the precursors Mm -hmm. so it ended up winning eight Annie Awards and then it was also nominated for six BAFTAs which shocked me (laughs) including best film Eddie Murphy was the first actor nominated for voiceover performance in supporting actor and then it won best adapted screenplay was also nominated for adapted screenplay at the Oscars but lost to A Beautiful Mind And then also at the Golden Globes, it was nominated for Best Musical or Comedy. So quite the showing. And Eddie Murphy to this day is still the only actor who's been nominated for voiceover work at the BAFTAs. Wow. That's (laughs) crazy. Yeah. That tells you this is about the caliber of his performance. So let's get into some of our favorite scenes. I think the way the film starts, just the opening credits are great. Mm -hmm. You get to see Shrek in his environment. You get a taste of what the humor is going to be like throughout the film. And again, opening with All Star by Smash Mouth, I think really does set the tone for its place in culture for years to come, which I think is so hard to do in an opening credits sequence. And I think even before the credits, you know, it opens up on this book. We're reading this fairy tale with this really romantic score. And then at the very end, Shrek rips out a page and it's kind of like, okay, we're in for a ride. This is not your typical fairy tale. And I think that's when I realized that it's like, okay, this is different. We love Mm -hmm. different and I'm ready. I love that it really pokes fun at, in a really smart way, those classic Disney fairy tales like Sleeping Beauty, how it opens on that beautiful like gold jeweled book. And Beauty and the Beast, Mm -hmm. how you have that voiceover narration telling you about this fairy tale and where you are. I love that it makes fun of that, especially because it's not a Disney movie. So it's telling you right off the Mm -hmm. bat, you're very familiar with this type of animated film. We have something different for you and maybe better. So then from there, we are introduced to the swamp. It's Shrek and Donkey meeting and becoming a thing because Donkey is so annoying about it. So then all of the fairy tale creatures are dumped at the swamp and Shrek is ready to have this night alone. He has his martini with an eyeball in it and this like beautiful spread at the table. And then we see like the three blind mice come in and then Snow White in her coffin. Just all of these fairy tale creatures coming together. And I think that's a really cool Mm -hmm. way to bring in even Disney characters, Mm -hmm. which I was a little surprised by. But it like creates this super universe that was really fun to experience and have them all interact together. And then Shrek's like, okay, I have to go to Lord Farquaad and find him and tell them to leave. And that's when we get to Duloc, which is another incredible scene. (laughs) 
I briefly mentioned earlier about the information booth, which is amazingly crafted. I mean, it reminds you of Disneyland and everything being in sync, this really catchy song. Mm -hmm. And then like the photo flash at the end, it just like comes together so well. Well, it's great, too, because it's a riff off of It's a Small World, which is the classic, classic Disney song that you'll hear at Disneyland, Disney World. And I just, I love how it starts. And it's so, because Duloc is so quiet and no one is around. And these things are so annoying. And we have to mention (laughs) that when they're singing the song and they say, shine your shoes, wipe your, and they pause as they're turned around and bent over. (laughs) And then they all just say, face. It's like the expressions on the dolls, too, is Uh what makes it that much better. (laughs) And yeah, like you mentioned, too, the picture of them, and that's always what ends up happening. If you're at any type of amusement park, they always, all those characters (laughs) want to take your picture, (laughs) and it never looks good. And Donkey's like, let's do it again. (laughs) (laughs) So then from there, we meet Lord Farquaad and then Shrek and Donkey go on their journey to rescue the princess, which is another great scene. I think the scene, too, where Donkey and the dragon meet and he starts flattering her and things kind of start to turn around a little bit is so funny. (laughs) Such a bizarre choice. Mm-hmm. But I think, like, as kids, it's hilarious. Yeah, exactly. Like, when I was a kid, I remember, like I said, I loved Donkey so much. So him meeting this dragon and I think her being the one who's just so much bigger and more powerful than him is such a great choice. And having that working alongside, like, Shrek going to get Fiona. And again, like another trope that you see in so many fairy tales, in so many animated classics of this prince like going to rescue the princess, just like in Sleeping mm-hmm. Beauty, fighting off the dragon. But instead, you just have Shrek being like, let's go. Like all the crude humor, <laughs> just none of the decorum that a knight would have in that situation makes it so much better. Because she's going in for the kiss. She, she's awake. Mm-hmm. And then he just shakes her. Says, yeah. let's go. <laughs> props her over, over his shoulder. And like starts running out of the castle. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get away from the dragon too. And again, like the music here is done really well. It's like really action packed. But you're also playing with this dragon flirting with the donkey. And mm-hmm. he's trying to get away from her too. Another good scene, and I think you notice like more of the details that they lay out once you know what's happening with Fiona. You know, once the sun sets, she turns into an ogre, and she had this curse placed on her by a witch as a child that she's going to shapeshift basically at nighttime until she finds her true love, gets this kiss from her true love, and then she'll take on her true form. I love the little clues we get along the way that she's an ogre, like when she and Shrek are kind of starting to like each other and she catches all these bugs for him and makes him like this cotton candy, basically out of spider webs. And you catch her at the end licking her fingers. There are little things like that in there that are really cute. But I do like the scene when she's like telling her story to Donkey and that gives it more of the like adult or grown-up things that you can definitely think about as a kid and it teaches you I think really important lessons like not to judge other people and not to like lock other people away for 
their appearance or their identity, but like that's obviously mm-hmm. something that happens in the world. And the way that they talk about it here, I think would make children have a lot of empathy for Fiona and understand her circumstance. And then it just perfectly sets up, I think, the conflict and the misunderstanding that comes mm-hmm. later between her and Shrek. Yeah, definitely. And I think the audience in this moment is Donkey, where when we see Fiona as an ogre coming out of the shadow inside of the tower, we're like, what is happening? And Donkey's freaking out. And he's like, Shrek, Shrek, I'm going to save you. As if he were like inside Fiona's body. (laughs) I think in identifying with the Donkey in that moment, it's having that realization and having that message explained to us and not just shown to us. I think that's really important too. And I think continuing with this like message of goodness, you know, we go into this wedding where Lord Farquaad just wants to become king and then Shrek barges in trying to save Fiona and in doing the right thing, I guess for love, Fiona waits until sundown to turn into an ogre again. And then Shrek is like, well, that explains a lot. He's like, you're beautiful just how you are. You know, it doesn't matter what form you're in. And I think it's that fairy tale ending that we wanted, but in this new way. So I I like this as the ending. And then the dragon eats Lord Farquaad. And then we go into I'm a believer. I think this scene is so great, too, because if you've been watching fairy tales, I remember like thinking that she would turn back into the princess at the end. But the fact that she stays an ogre... That is, it's so refreshing. It subverts your expectations in really great ways because I think looking back on those Disney movies that we grew up with now, so much of what we hear is like, oh, you were taught so many bad lessons from these movies because it's like the princess is beautiful and nothing else. Like in Swan Princess, they literally say that. And some of these movies, like it's all about beauty and all about superficial things. But Shrek, like, her staying an ogre is so powerful. It's a really bold choice for them to make. Not only does it make sense for the story, but it teaches a better lesson than a lot of these other movies that we grew up with in expectations for women and Mm -hmm. what it means to, like, be in love or to be a princess, like, all of these different things. I think the ending is just really, really smart. And I'm a Believer is great. I love when they end with that. It's so funny. Donkey singing. Yeah, every time I hear this version, I can specifically pinpoint the auto-tune of Eddie Murphy uh-huh. at one point in the song. <laughs> <laughs> and I like that they needed this song in the movie in some capacity solely for the line, I thought love was only true in fairy tales. And I like that this came at the end of the movie instead of the opening song because we learned that, you know, love isn't just in these romanticized fairy tales so let's get into best quotes this movie has so many of them i think my favorite overall and one of our listeners also wrote this in that this is the best line delivery in any animated movie ever (laughs) we can stay up late swapping manly stories and in the morning i'm making waffles it's so funny it's really just all of donkey's lines Mm -hmm. are delivered so well and just have so much humor to them i mean even that's a nice boulder i like that boulder Uh it's like what does this mean (laughs) but it's also just so funny too because he says this right after insulting shrek swamp and this is what you do if you're just like kind of 
been caught in a situation like that where you misspeak and mm-hmm. say something bad or inappropriate about something that's you know someone else's and you try to backtrack and compliment what you can <laughs> another great quote i think that is maybe one of the most popular ones from the movie is ogres are like onions we have layers i think that's something that like is one of the quotes that people think of and will reference when talking about things other than shrek it's probably the most iconic line from this movie and i wish i could do like a scottish accent (laughs) and recreate these lines i also love just all the other layered things that donkey brings in that he thinks are better than onions like cakes or parfaits (laughs) i think another line that i use in real life is that'll do donkey that'll do (laughs) it's great and then another line when shrek tries to initially scare donkey off which he's not scared at all he says oh you definitely need some tic tacs or something because your breath stinks which again to like a kid would be hilarious that was like one of my favorites as a kid it was so funny (laughs) And I think just another great tie-in is when the gingerbread man is being tortured by Lord Farquaad, (laughs) (laughs) which is just a perfect idea, but his legs are taken off and they like dunk him in milk, but he goes, not my gumdrop buttons, which comes back in Shrek 2 again. And also in that torture sequence, the gingerbread man goes, do you know the muffin man? Yes, the muffin man. Who lives on Drury Lane. <laughs> just That is so good. Another one that I didn't put in that I just remembered. One thing I love is when they get to Duloc and they see the giant tower, which is just the architecture's trash in Duloc. Mm-hmm. And Shrek says, that must be Lord Farquaad's castle. Do you think he's maybe compensating for something? Yes. <laughs> Which as a kid totally went over my head. No idea what that meant. But mm-hmm. now it's just like such a great yeah. add-in. So when they rescue Fiona, I think this is really great how they do this too. Shrek is really scared to take off his helmet. And once he does, Fiona kind of like reels back a little bit. And initially we think it's because he's an ogre and he's ugly. But deep down, you know, she knows that she is an ogre at night as well. So I think... It's interesting when she says, you're not supposed to be an ogre because she wants her fairy tale ending. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we know that changes once they meet and get to know each other. But I think that's just kind of a nice aside Mm -hmm. that you don't really think about until you rewatch the movie. Definitely. Another great line delivery and just a perfect quote from Lord Farquaad and John Lithgow is when he says at the tournament, some of you may die, but it's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. That's just so good. And the way he says it is perfect. You're like, oh, this guy's trash. He doesn't care about any of these people at all. It's kind of Game of thrones mm-hmm. too. It reminds me of, this is a very specific reference, but it reminds me of the video that Vanessa Hudgens made when Coachella was canceled. And she was like, people are going to die about COVID. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, rough. Yeah. Not great. Oh, another one I just love as a consumer of all celebrity pop culture is at the wedding, right after the dragon spits out Lord Farquaad's crown, Donkey's like, celebrity marriages never last. (laughs) And then another quote from Shrek to Donkey, he's like, all right, all right, don't get all slobbery. No one likes a kiss ass. 
which is a nice little double entendre yeah, there. That's good. There are so many quotes, and obviously we're missing a lot. You can't we can't read the whole script and butchering <laughs> them all. <laughs> but I think those are some of our favorites. If you have more, definitely let us know. But now, before we get into some fun trivia and information about the cast. We have a fun mini game based on a suggestion that we got from one of our listeners. So the idea for this mini game was submitted by Seth Johnson on Instagram, who said we should cover animated films robbed at the Oscars because of Pixar's chokehold on the category. So we went through the 20 years that it's been and looked at films that should have won over the Pixar film that won in that year. And I think in some years, you know, I have like 10 movies that I could go through, but for some of those I would still pick the Pixar film, even though I also love the film that was nominated but didn't win. This was a great idea for a game, especially since we talk all the time about Pixar's hold over the category. And because of Mm -hmm. that, I think we don't get a lot of opportunity, at least covering the Oscars, to maybe talk about films that aren't made by Pixar to as great of an extent. So my first one is actually... Shrek 2. So in 2004, Shrek 2 lost to The Incredibles. I know that people love The Incredibles, but I love Shrek 2, and The Incredibles does not really fall in my top five or so Pixar films, so I would be perfectly fine with The Incredibles losing here and Shrek 2 winning. See, I love The Incredibles. I like Shrek 2 as well. We'll get to that in a bit, but... This was my number one Pixar film, I think, until Wally came out. Oh my god! Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yes, like Toy Story. And so like Finding I... Nemo, Ratatouille, Wally. There's so many good ones that like The yeah. Incredibles is fine. Like it's enjoyable, but to me, it's just not. It's not Shrek two. So then the next one for me would be in 2009 when Fantastic Mr. Fox lost to Up and. The Secret of Kells was also nominated that year, and I really love both of these movies. The Secret of Kells opened me up to Cartoon Saloon's animation, and we talked extensively about Wolf Walkers. So so it was all of this intricate hand-drawn animation that really blew me away. And then also you have the stop-motion, claymation, Fantastic Mr. Fox from one of our favorite directors, Wes Anderson. That is also like child and adult loving material that is really easy to watch and i i know this is a hot take but i didn't love up like a lot of people did so i like up i'm gonna sound like such like i hate pixar which is not true at all the beginning of up is great and is such a tearjerker and really ropes you in i think for the rest of the story I do like the animation in Up, but Fantastic Mr. Fox, this is also one of my picks here, is, and maybe this is a hot take, is my favorite Wes Anderson film. I would say that too, yeah. The stop motion animation is so beautiful. The story is so fun. The voice work is amazing. George Clooney and Meryl Streep. We'll be talking a lot more about Wes Anderson before The French Dispatch comes out, so... I don't want to step too much on Wes Anderson, but this one 
I think if I had to give him even an Oscar, I would give him this one for Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah. So then in 2013 and 14, I have to rep Studio Ghibli here. They won the second animated feature Oscar in 2002 for Spirited Away, which is so, so deserved. And then in 2005, Howl's Moving Castle was a nominee but lost to Wallace and Gromit. I would have picked Howl's here, but obviously Wallace and Gromit isn't a Pixar film, so that's why I kind of skipped over it there. But then in 2013 and 14, we had The Wind Rises that lost to Frozen, and then The Tale of the Princess Kaguya, which lost to Big Hero 6, which is a Disney animation, not Pixar film. But I think in talking about Hayao Miyazaki and the company, just outstanding animation really compares to Cartoon Saloon for me in these beautiful, delicate, very emotional pieces that are just constructed phenomenally. Yeah. I was thinking a lot about Miyazaki in this category too, because a lot of my favorite Miyazaki films came before the creation of this category. And it was one of those Mm. things where I was like, oh, I wish this category had been around longer because some of those early ones that I really like could have been awarded here. Like I just, I grew up loving Kiki's Delivery Service, especially like that was one of my favorite movies to watch as a kid. But it was from the 80s where we didn't have this category. So if you haven't watched Hayao Miyazaki films, definitely work through his filmography. I know they're all on HBO Max right now, and they're just really enjoyable, fun watches with really beautiful animation. And I think internationally, they're on Netflix. So my next one that I have is actually in 2019. I would have selected Klaus from Netflix over Toy Story 4. I really love Toy Story and Toy Story 3 in particular, even Toy Story 2. But Toy Story 4, it was fine, but just compared to the other films in the story, not the best. And this would have been, I think, a good opportunity to pick something different. Yeah, I really liked Klaus 2. I would actually pick it here as well. I think I was just surprised by it. It was a different kind of animation. And this was Netflix's first biggest push in this category. And... As a Christmas movie, something we can watch yearly, I think that also added to it Mm -hmm. as well. And it's a darker movie. Yeah. You know, kind of the theme we're talking about today a lot, but definitely, especially in a year where there's no big standout. So my last one that I have would actually be this year. I would have voted for Wolfwalkers over Soul. I think knowing, you know, in retrospect that Soul won Best Original Score and was loved in other ways. I prefer personally the hand-drawn animation in Wolfwalkers, the darker themes. I think I'm partial also to Cartoon Saloon now that we've talked to Ross and Tom as well. So I would have picked Wolfwalkers here. Yeah, especially in a year where there was a lot of spreading of the wealth. Mm -hmm. I think giving Wolfwalkers picture, since it hasn't been awarded before, I would have really loved that too. So thank you, Seth, for submitting that suggestion. That was a really fun mini game. And for anyone else, if you have any suggestions for games that you'd like us to play on upcoming episodes, just let us know. So next, we're going to transition into our casting breakdown. So if you haven't listened to any of our anniversary episodes yet, what we do here is we go through casting trivia. So maybe people who are supposed to play certain characters talk about how the actors came to play these characters. First up, 
I think it's important to know, and I did not know this, but Steven Spielberg, whose name always comes up on this podcast pretty regularly, (laughs) was originally going to produce Shrek in 1991 when he was in charge of Amblin Entertainment. And if they did it back then, it would have had hand-drawn animation, so it would have looked completely different. And the voices would also be very different because he had Bill Murray as Shrek and Steve Martin as Donkey, which is a completely different vibe. What do you think about that? Yeah, this makes sense for Steven Spielberg, but I am so happy that it landed as it did. I think it's just one much more diverse and I think it's a different kind of comedy. And you have a lot of alumni from Saturday Night Live. And actually, they originally wanted Chris Farley to play the role of Shrek. And he had recorded a lot of his dialogue, but he passed away in 1997, which they had started filming and recording for this movie in 1996. So it took them four and a half years to make the entire film. And then after Chris Farley died, the role was given to another SNL alum, Mike Myers. And at one point in the movie, Shrek air quotes a line, which is something Chris Farley did on SNL as Bennett Brower. I think Chris Farley would have been great in the part, but I'm glad that Mike Myers was able to come in. And he actually is part of the reason that filming took so long because he didn't want to like listen to any of Chris Farley's existing work. He wanted to just approach the role organically and kind of on his own and not be influenced by his performance or his take on the character. And he even originally voiced Shrek with his natural speaking voice. And then he would try Canadian accents. But after he viewed a rough cut of the movie, so it's like pretty much done, he just didn't think it was right. So he re-recorded all of his lines with a Scottish accent that was actually based on a voice that his mom would use when she would read him like fairy tales as a child. And this decision ended up costing an additional $4 million since it took 20 sessions to complete. Wild. I mean, I think they made the right choice, but Mm -hmm. it was an expensive one. Yeah, right. (laughs) And I couldn't get it out of my head, but do you know who... I don't know if you've seen this yet, but do you know who Shrek sounded like to me the entire movie? (laughs) I don't know. I'm worried to find out. Lawrence Cheney. Have you seen UK season two yet? No, not yet. I'm so, I need to watch it, but I'm right now on, this is Drag Race for (laughs) listeners. Right now I'm on season 12 of US. And then once I finish all the US seasons, I'm going to move to UK. Okay. UK is great, but it's that Scottish accent that like really (laughs) made me think of him the entire time. I love that. Another interesting casting fact. So Nicolas Cage was initially offered the role of Shrek, but he turned it down because he didn't want to look like an ugly ogre. He regretted (laughs) turning down the role. And he said, when you're drawn in a way, it says more about how children are going to see you than anything else. And I so care about that, which is just like funny because like, what? what? Out of all the things Nicolas Cage has done, I know. and he's too good for Shrek. It's like, I... you've been in that bad Wicker Man remake. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I love Nicolas Cage, though, yeah. so I'm not going to like speak ill of him. It's just right, an odd right. comment. I guess at the time, like 1996 to 2000, this was like peak Nicolas Cage, where he had just released Leaving Las Vegas, 
did The Rock, Con Air, Face Off, City of Angels, and Gone in 60 Seconds came out in 2000, along with The Family Man. So these are like really iconic roles, and he doesn't get wacky until (laughs) I think a few years later. And then he has like one of the most iconic family films ever for our generation, National National Treasure. Treasure. (laughs) Yes. Is it time to get into Eddie Murphy more? Yeah, you can talk about your favorite character from the film. And Eddie Murphy also says it's among his best works. Eddie Murphy and Jeffrey Katzenberg, who's the co-founder and CEO of DreamWorks, they've known each other actually since the beginning of their film careers. And they said to each other, like, one day we'll do an animated film together, which ended up being Shrek. And Katzenberg was the one who recommended Eddie Murphy for the part of Donkey And he even still thinks that this is Eddie Murphy's best work. Hmm. And so I think because of Katzenberg's relationship with him and just how he saw him in the part, no one else was even considered for Donkey. Like once the name Eddie Murphy came up, it was just, that was it. Which is great. I cannot see anyone else as Donkey. While I think the rest of the cast is also amazing, when I think of Shrek, I think of Donkey. And those lines and how much humor and life he injects into this movie. Yeah, and I think also looking at what was coming out before and around the time of Shrek, Eddie Murphy had just started doing all of the Nutty Professors. So I think this is very much in line with that Mm -hmm. and creating this character, which I really love. And there's actually a Nutty Professor reference in the movie. When they're in the castle and they're looking for the stairs, Donkey says, I am the Stairmaster. And that's something that he says in the Nutty Professor. And then next we have Cameron Diaz, who plays Fiona. So with her scene where she fights Robin Hood and the thieves, she used some of her kung fu training from when she did Charlie's Angels as inspiration for some of the noises and she uses some Cantonese in there as well. (laughs) So during those fight scenes, I think that's a fun little nod to that also iconic movie. And then another fun fact, the scene when Princess Fiona burps was written after a recording session where Cameron Diaz burped after drinking a Coke And Eddie Murphy improvised Donkey's response and said, she's as nasty as you are to Shrek. Lots of good improv in there. Mm -hmm. And I want Cameron Diaz to make more movies. I'm happy for her that she's had her hiatus, but I want her to come back. And then last we have John Lithgow. One funny thing about him is that he's actually 6'4", so he's really tall in real life. And he thought that this was actually part of the joke of his casting because he's so tall playing this character who is so short and how that's such a big part of Lord Farquaad's Mm -hmm. character. Initially, Alan Rickman was the choice for Lord Farquaad. However, Alan Rickman decided that he wanted to portray Professor Snape in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone instead. I mean, that's like a perfect, I think, sliding doors moment where, yes, Shrek was this big hit, but can you see anyone else as Snape besides Alan Rickman, Mm -hmm. right? It's like that's part of his big legacy, I think, now. So then a little bit more trivia on the movie. I think the most fascinating thing is that none of the actors ever met. They all recorded their lines separately. And John Lithgow actually was upset when he didn't meet anybody because... He knew he was working with all these actors, which is 
yeah, I think a little sad and thinking about all of these moments in the movie and how well timed all the humor is Mm -hmm. and all these little moments, I think that adds to how good Shrek is as a movie. Yeah. And it's also like, how the heck do you do this? I know. It really says a lot about the actors and the filmmakers, like everyone involved. But I think when I envision Shrek, I think of like all of the actors together in a studio, like seeing Mm -hmm. each other, being able to play off of each other. So that is really interesting and unexpected. I want to see like a big 20th anniversary table read Mm -hmm. of everybody and hearing that would be so much fun. That would be great. Another fact is that there are actually 36 unique locations in Shrek, which is more than any other computer animated film at the time. So this was, I know we talked about the animation a bit earlier of how it looks very different from a lot of those Disney films. And I think looking at it in that way now, it really was inventive and really put DreamWorks on the map as a competitor and putting that much work into this film, having that many unique locations is definitely part of that. Before Shrek was released, the film had to be viewed by DreamWorks's lawyers because there were a lot of concerns that they would be sued by Disney over the references to Disney's films and theme parks, which we referenced before, but mm-hmm. they were fine. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. I mean, they're not speaking ill of Disney, but it was still kind of surprising to see Snow White and Cinderella and mm-hmm. later on in some of the sequels as well, like all of those other characters and locations. Mm-hmm. And kind of going along with that, there are rumors that Lord Farquaad was based on former Disney CEO Michael Eisner, (laughs) who Jeffrey Katzenberg, the CEO of DreamWorks, used to work with because he was actually at Disney before breaking off to go to DreamWorks. So that would be crazy if that's true. Okay, so now getting into the sequels and some of the spinoffs. The Shrek universe is huge. Mm -hmm. After Shrek came out, we had Shrek 2, Shrek the 3rd, Shrek Forever After. And there's actually a fifth reboot in the works right now that's supposed to be released in 2022. And then apart from the movies, we have two holiday specials. I think a Halloween and a Christmas one. And then a spinoff film, which was Puss in Boots, which was also nominated for the Oscar. There's a Puss in Boots sequel coming. And there was a stage musical as well. And also at Universal Studios, they had a theme park ride, Shrek 4D. So there's just so much going on. There really is. How many of these have you seen? Have you seen everything in the Shrek universe? Only a few? I've seen one through three. I don't think I saw Puss in Boots. And I think I skipped the fourth movie too. I may have watched like the holiday special in my like overwhelming need to see every mm-hmm. holiday thing that's been released. <laughs> <laughs> How much have you seen? I have just seen Shrek 2 and Shrek the 3rd. I haven't seen any of the others, which is odd that I haven't seen Puss in Boots only because I love Puss in Boots in Shrek 2 and Antonio Banderas's performance mm-hmm. as Puss in Boots, but I am not really I think after the third Shrek like in a rush to check out <laughs> the rest of the movies. Yeah. Watching Shrek the third, it was just like a steep decline 
from Shrek 2, and I really don't feel motivated to watch Forever After now. But we can talk about Shrek 2, which is, I think, an equally satisfying movie and incredibly crafted sequel, which can really be hit or miss sometimes, and Mm -hmm. this is very much a hit for me. I love Shrek 2. I think it still uses a lot of that really sharp but also crude humor that the first one uses. It introduces classic characters with a twist on them that I think is very smart, like Prince Charming and Mm -hmm. the fairy godmother and Puss in Boots, who are characters that are pretty well-known, I think. And the great performances behind them, the music. I love this one. I think, again, the music here is phenomenal. And what it does really well. We have Accidentally in Love starting the movie off. Funky Town. The film ends with Live in La Vida Loca. And this is the first time I had heard Holding Out for a Hero. And this is just maybe flat out the best musical performance during a movie ever. Oh my god, ever. That's like, that's a that's high praise. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a great rendition of the song and the visuals that go along with it. Like, every time this video comes up, I have to watch it. It is a really, really fun performance. And we mentioned before all of the film references in Shrek, but there are even more in Shrek 2. Especially Mm -hmm. in that opening montage, like, you have the Spider-Man kiss. You have From Here to Eternity of them, like, on the beach. And another one, too, I saw this on BuzzFeed. The fairy godmother in her performance of holding out for a hero is referencing with some of her choreography michelle pfeiffer in the fabulous baker boys which is just great that's a Mm. wonderful fact (laughs) the one i noticed most rapidly was when shrek comes upon puss in boots and they're fighting and puss in boots rips out of his shirt like an alien i think that was really good good We have Mission Impossible when Pinocchio and the Gingerbread Man come to save Shrek and Donkey later on. King Kong as this giant gingerbread man they've baked. (laughs) And then they mention Pretty Woman as a fairy tale, which I think is so interesting. Yeah. Also, just Rupert Everett as Prince Charming. That character Mm. looking like Jamie Lannister before Game of Thrones. So good. And I think I love, too, that they go to Far, Far Away, you meet the parents, and Far, Far Away is basically L.A. Mm -hmm. And you see, like, the sign, obviously, is like the Hollywood sign. It's just so creative. Mm -hmm. That's one of my favorite parts in the movie, when they're playing Funky Town, as they go up to Far, Far Away. And it, Mm -hmm. for our L.A. people listening, it really looks like the Grove. (laughs) Yeah, you have, like, Melrose, and then Beverly Hills with rapunzel and cinderella's houses they even give a nod to bob barker in one of their lines (laughs) which i think adds to like the price is right filming in la so if you do want to watch shrek again or any of the sequels shrek and shrek 2 are both on hulu shrek the third and shrek forever after you do have to rent but then puss in boots is on netflix if you do want to watch that one and then i think with the other ones scared shrekless and Shrek the Halls, I believe you have to rent too, but Shrek the Musical is also on Netflix. Oh my god. (laughs) If you had an idea for what the reboot was going to be, what would you think for Shrek 5? 
I guess I would think it would be like one of their kids, like grown up, maybe. Like in school yeah, or yeah. going off to college, mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like that. That's cute. And then like Shrek and Fiona in middle age. Right. Like Shrek and Fiona adjusting to like one of their kids moving away, something like that. Okay. I'm into that. What do you think? Like, what if Shrek and Fiona were like king and queen of the swamp and they like actually were in charge of some kind of throne that way? Like they were scared to do in Shrek 2 and 3. I think that would be interesting. Yeah, I think so too. Well, we'll have to wait and see because we don't have any plot details yet about this thing. Mm -hmm. So, so. In closing, as we always do, if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would it be? Besides Best Animated Feature. I would give Eddie Murphy Best Supporting Actor. (laughs) 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 To be fair, Jim Broadbent won for Iris, which I have not seen, so I can't compare the performances. But Jim Broadbent has had some great performances in Mike Lee movies that I could maybe give him an Oscar for one of those instead. I just think Mm -hmm. Eddie Murphy as Donkey is an absolutely iconic role, a performance that really, I think, made the film stand out. When I think of Shrek, and yes, it is just my bias-loving Donkey, I think of Eddie Murphy, and I think he's just, he's the biggest part of the Shrek legacy for me, and I think it would have just been cool to give someone an oscar for a voiceover performance what would you pick i think i would give it to screenplay since it was nominated there i mean this is a stacked category we also have the lord of the rings the fellowship of the ring nominated but if i'm thinking back as we mentioned i think there are just so many good lines i think it was crafted so well and i haven't i will say that i haven't revisited a beautiful mind since it's not one of my favorites we can save that for maybe if we do a rewind or something on it but I think it's one of the weaker best picture winners of the decade just it's not a winner that I'm enthusiastic about in this category so I agree with you here for Shrek I do like in the bedroom I know that that might not be a popular choice but I do like that one a lot and Lord of the Rings I'm okay with that not getting it here because Return Mm -hmm. of the King ended up getting it two years later yeah so I think that's a good pick So that's all we have on Shrek. We hope that you enjoyed our episode on this delightful Oscar-winning film. I think it was fun revisiting Shrek 20 years later. Mm -hmm. It's crazy that it's been that long. And I think for the most part, the animation holds up. There are some aspects that do look a little dated, but I think overall it's still like a really fun movie to watch without being taken out too much from the viewing experience. Yeah, I agree. It really holds up and was so fun to revisit as an adult and just get even more out of the humor that was there and to still love it mm-hmm. like just as much as I did when I was a kid. So next time on Oscar Wild, we'll be doing an Oscar Rewind. And based on the winner of our Twitter poll, we'll be discussing the 2007 Best Picture nominees. The winner that year was No Country for Old Men. And the other nominees were Atonement, Juno, Michael Clayton, and There Will Be Blood. Thank you again, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time. If you want to listen for more Oscar Wilde content, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Pod. You can email us at oscarwildpod at gmail.com. 
or you can submit ideas or questions or comments on our website at oscarwild.squarespace.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.